What are the latest trends in money laundering? Hi, this is Tom Field, Editorial Director with Information Security Media Group, and I'm talking with our resident expert in money laundering, former police officer Kevin Sullivan. Kevin, it's a pleasure to talk with you again. Hi, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. Well, Kevin, you and I have talked an awful lot about trends over the years. We've talked about virtual money laundering. We've talked about money mules. Uh, a year ago, we were talking about rabbis being arrested in money laundering schemes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What do you find to be the hot topic so far this year in money laundering? Well, this year, so far this year, it seems to be the hot topic is kind of kind of that old expression of, of what's old is new. Well, what's all that's new again, it seems to be bulk cash smuggling. And uh, what that is, is um, that's a result of, uh, usually a result of an illegal narcotics operation or some form of black market peso exchange, trade-based money laundering process, or or perhaps just the final pieces of the puzzle of some type of scam or fraud or, or associated crime. Now, the, uh, the Department of Justice described the Mexican drug trafficking organizations as the greatest organized crime threat to the United States. Well, that, that, when you sit back and think about that for a minute, that's pretty, uh, pretty interesting. And, and with that is the cross-border pipeline, which moves products between Mexico both, and the United States, both north and south. And the primary goods flowing northbound are cocaine, human traffic, gang members that they hire to uh, be enforcers for the drug lords, and marijuana. Uh, the products that head southbound are large amounts of cash, stolen cars, and weapons. Now, it's estimated that the Mexican, cart- Mexican cartels smuggle approximately 20 to $30 billion a year. Uh, that's about, uh, and about 25 to 50 percent of that money is laundered through a Mexican financial institution. Unfortunately, financial institutions in Mexico are not always regulated uh, with AML in mind. However, several Mexican financial institutions have recently ceased to accept cash deposits, uh, specifically in geographical areas that have a high uh, criminal enterprise history. Now, they've also done very recently that Mexican government has announced that it would limit individual bank account holders to deposits of no more than $4,000 a month. Now, this may not sound like much to uh, you or I, uh, especially I, I know that high salary that you make there, Tom, <laughs> but uh, uh, this does not affect the average Mexican household because they make the average Mexican household makes far less than $4,000 a month. So... What happens here is that the bulk cash that is made in the U.S. from the, from the criminal organization has got to get transported across the border. There are 417 official border crossings between the U.S. and Mexico. And note, I said official border crossings. Uh, one of the methods that the bulk cash smugglers will use is a form of smurfing or structuring uh, where an individual uh, carries... Uh, approximately five to ten thousand dollars on his person and crossed the border. Now, it certainly seems easy enough, uh, but they also use a, a uh, non-bulk cash format also. 
Uh, they'll use their criminal proceeds through wire transfers. They will use stored value cards, which I'm not sure if we talked about. We may have talked about that in one of the webinars. Uh, and uh, over, of course, another example of a trade-based money laundering is something interesting that's popping up on the on the borders, or secondhand clothing stores. And uh, reportedly, there are hundreds of establishments that sell large quantities of secondhand clothing, which is then introduced into Mexico via uh, illegal methods, of course. Uh, because importation of secondhand clothes into Mexico is prohibited due to sanitary reasons. So, as I've said a million times before on any of our webinars when we've talked before, anything of value can be laundered. So here's an example of secondhand clothing being laundered. Stored value cards used for laundering. So let me just, to, to, to give your uh, listeners an idea of what I'm talking about here, let me just take you through a typical bulk cash smuggling scenario. Okay. Money from the local drug sales uh, here in New where I am in New York uh, uh, are usually taken to a stash house, or uh, they may refer to it as a central counting location. Uh, that money arrives from the streets in the form of small bills, usually five, tens, twenties, because much to my chagrin, you know, the local drug dealers don't usually take the, uh, an Amex card, so everything happens in small bills. Uh, well, small bills need to be refined. And when I say refined, what that, that means in AML terms is you need to take the small bills and turn them into large bills. And the reason you turn them into large bills is because it reduces the mass size and makes it easier to conceal. It's a lot easier to conceal a million dollars of $100 bills than it is a million dollars of singles. Uh, further, what they do is they uh, vacuum pack it in plastic bags and surround it with coffee grounds and pepper or other smelly substances uh, to attempt to thwart the uh, canine uh, drug-sniffing dogs. Uh, and they hide it in a vehicle, use uh, cars or trucks, and usually use some sort of uh, advanced electronic trap compartment. Uh, and they rotate vehicles, they rotate drivers, so they don't see the same cars, the same drivers, the same license plates. Uh, they rotate the times. You know, they're not stupid about it. You know, they, they're very bright. Uh, further, they use advanced counter-surveillance techniques. So they're surveilling us. What they do is they use decoy vehicles, which may drive in front or around the mule cars, and they try to attack attention, which is like something right out of Smoking the Bandit. Uh, they will also be at the border crossings on both sides using uh, high-tech communication gear, and they're just watching the border crossing to look to see what lane looks to be the best lane to go through. Is anybody getting pulled out? Every third car they're stopping, so they try to notate that and they relay that information to the drivers. So they're very high-tech. Don't, don't ever think that they're, um, they're just dopey guys just uh, moving some cash around. Or they're, they're very, very sophisticated techniques that they use. So that's what's um, <clears throat> the latest that's been going on and, and really a hot topic now back in the money laundering world. Well, Kevin, how do you recommend that banking institutions on the U.S. side of the border deal with an issue like bulk cash smuggling? What do they have to be looking out for? Well, that's, that's, that's a good question because on, on the surface it may seem like, well, what does that got to do with a U.S. bank? So well, let me tell you that the... Uh, uh, about two years ago, the DEA, uh, ICE, and in conjunction with FinCEN, 
they created a list of possible red flags of suspicious behavior that might be indicative of bulk cash smuggling. So let me allow me just to go through a, a couple of them. Uh, one would be an in increase in the sale of large denomination U.S. banknotes to Mexican institutions. Uh, another might be large volumes of small denomination U.S. banknotes being sent from Mexican Casa de Cambios to their accounts in the U.S. via an armored transport or sold directly to U.S. banks. Uh, there could be multiple wire transfers, uh, which would be initiated by a, a Casa de Cambio that uh, directs U.S. financial institutions to remit funds to jurisdictions outside of Mexico that have absolutely no apparent business relationship with that Casa de Cambio. And, of course, there's the uh, refining or the exchange of small denomination U.S. bills for large bills. So, there, there's, so they came out with a list of about uh, eight, nine, ten different uh, red flag scenarios, which is uh, available on the FinCEN website. Uh, not a bad concept for all banks to, to look at just to see if they are being used and, uh, in, in some form of uh, cross-border bulk cash smuggling because banks are not uh, immune to this. Now, Kevin, you mentioned FinCEN, and I know there's been some uh, AML clarification and guidance that's been issued so far this year. What's your mm -hmm. take on what the most important elements are for banking institutions to be paying attention to? Well, I, I thought that the – I took a look at all of them, and I looked the, – the very most interesting one uh, actually was something quite recently uh, that had to do with uh, broker and dealers and beneficial ownership. Uh, several of the broker-dealer associations have complained to FinCEN uh, and, and, and uh, about the guidance or lack thereof uh, concerning beneficial ownership. And their points to FinCEN was that, one, there was no manual uh, like the FFIEC manual that really uh, spells out what you should or shouldn't do or what the examiners need to do when they come walking in the door. They really don't have that for uh, broker-dealers. Uh, another one of uh, their uh, grievances was um, specifically uh, on how beneficial ownership is uh, uh, detailed. And, and I think their, uh, their quote was, uh, that they think that it is, is impossible for financial institutions to verify beneficial owners as the guidance that FinCEN gave out suggested, given that most entities organized under U.S. law are not required to disclose information about their beneficial ownerships. So kind of it, it does bring up a kind of a catch-22 situation. And finally, there, uh, the Broker-Dealers Association last thought uh, was that if the new FinCEN uh, rule on, on uh, beneficial ownership, that was initially uh, to deal with U.S. Patriot Act Section 312, which had specifically to do with private banking and correspondent accounts. And beneficial owners, you had to know the beneficial owner of your private banking and correspondent accounts. And now it seems that uh, FinCEN wants to expand that to all accounts across the board, but, however, uh, it just isn't written up that way, and there was a little 
confusion and debate uh, with the trade associations uh, about that, and does that rule expand to all accounts, or is it just private banking and correspondent banking? So, Kevin, we're headed into the second half of the year now. In terms of the threats that you're, you're taking a look at and guidance you might expect, what are the trends that we really ought to keep an eye for as we uh, make the rush toward 2011? Okay, I'm going to give you one big one, and and, and I like to, to look at this like a, like a baseball scout, where a scout goes out and, and looks at college players and high school players and minor league ball players and tries to figure out what guy has the five tools necessary to become a major league ball player. Well, I, I try to look at it, uh, like what, where would I focus myself? If I had unlimited funds, which of course law enforcement doesn't and banks don't, uh, but if I had to predict what's going to be the next big thing, and, and this might not be for the rest of 2010, Tom, I have to confess, uh, I don't have the next big thing, for, but I think maybe by next year this could become big, it's mobile technology. And then I'll tell you why uh, mobile technology is going to be big, uh, or could has the potential of being big, and then also becoming a big money laundering issue. Something that, that recently, uh, w with the addition of the smartphones, uh, there's a new key technology that's called uh, near-field communication. Uh, what that is, it's a form of radio frequency identification that lets a cell phone act like a contactless card. Uh, and, and, and with all the uh, benefits that a smartphone brings also. And what this does, this, this intelligence allows for the conception of an e-wallet. Uh, now, just think of you know, where the problems could be here. A as you know, Tom, and as anybody out there knows in the email field, every time there's a new technology out there, it takes a while uh, before the good guys catch on to uh, where the holes are, where, where, where to plug the leaks. But the bad guys are out there right now. I tell you right now, the bad guys are, are there exploring this technology, and they know that it will be a long time before the, uh, the good guys, and, and, and hopefully that's you and I that we're talking about, Tom, but, and, and, and our banky friends. And, uh, it's going to be a while before they figure out what the problem is and how to react to it. And also what confuses matters, just like with one of the issues with stored value and ATMs, you're no longer talking about just a customer-bank relationship. You're talking about several entities in the way. Several, a lot of third parties are involved. So a lot of third parties will be involved in, uh, in, in mobile phone technology. Uh, who's responsible? Who's going to do a SAR? Who's responsible for... Uh, uh, checking beneficial ownership. Who's responsible for doing customer due diligence? Each, and, and, and that you're going to see, it's a nightmare, and it'll be 10 years before we get on the stick and try to figure this out. So I think, and so if I were going to turn to the dark side tomorrow, one of the things I would do is, is heavily uh, investigate into mobile phone technology and how that's going to affect uh, uh, money laundering. Well, that's a good point because we've got lots of banking institutions now that are investing in mobile technologies and person-to-person and -person mm -hmm. payments, and it, it's good advice to go in there with your eyes wide open. Yeah, and, and don't get me wrong. I, I don't say that it's a bad technology. Hey, hey look, if you look at credit cards and, and you can look at it from one aspect and say, well, gee, there's a lot of credit card fraud going on there, therefore it must be bad. No, not at all. You know, of all the fraud that goes on in credit cards, maybe it's a half of, a, half of a percent. Uh, the same thing 
and checks. You know, there are a lot of check kiting that happens. Does that mean all checks are bad? No. I don't think that this is a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. And anytime you can move forward and get new technology and make life easier for people, that's a great thing. However, we have to realize with every great thing and every new technology, you know, comes the, the, the time frame when people will learn to abuse it. And, and then we have to figure out how they can abuse it and how we take countermeasures to, to, uh, to figure that out. Kevin, as always, I appreciate your time and your insights. Thank you so much. Well, thank you very much, Tom. We've been talking about anti-money laundering trends. We've been talking with Kevin Sullivan. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.